0: Isaiah 51, we're going to look at the first couple of verses. In Isaiah chapter 51, this is actually part nine, one of our longer series, talking about living by faith. And as I say, uh, each and every week, you know, we're going to go as, as long as the Lord wants us to go, and He wants us to go another month or two, we'll do it, amen? Because there's always something new to learn, and it's, it's very important that we understand how important it is to live by faith, right? The Bible says that the just shall live by faith, four times in the Bible. And if any man draw back, God says, my soul will have no pleasure, okay? It doesn't mean he won't love us, but to, to really please God, we've got to learn to trust him. And really, to trust God, we have to learn to trust his, his written word, amen? Now, we, we began to uh, talk for the last two Sundays in particular about the Bible talks about two two types of faith and the first one that we discussed at length was the the Thomas kind of faith. We see that in John chapter 20. You remember the story we talked about how that uh, Jesus appeared to the 10 disciples because Thomas wasn't there and they saw the Lord. And then when the other when Thomas showed up, he said, "We this is after his resurrection." He said, "We've seen the Lord." And Thomas said, uh, I'm not going to believe it unless I can feel it, see it, taste it, touch it. Basically, I'll contact him with my five senses. Eight days later, Jesus appears in their midst in the same room, same setting, except eight days later. And he said, uh, uh, as soon as he appeared, he said, Thomas, come here. <laughs> and he said, reach hither thy finger, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless. And when he touched his hands and he saw Jesus, he says, my Lord, my God. And Thomas, Jesus responded to him and he says, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Are you with me? We call this the Thomas type of faith, which is a low natural human faith that says basically like this, I'm not going to believe it until I can see it. Maybe you've said that phrase before, I won't believe it until I can see it or hear it, right? Well, No, it's not necessary to have faith then because you've already seen it, okay? Now, the kind of faith that we're going to talk about today, and and I believe we'll hopefully conclude this part here today, we're going to talk about the, the Abraham type of faith, which is revelation faith, and that's the kind of faith we want to tap into and operate in, okay? and Isaiah 51, we looked at this last Sunday, in verse 1, Notice it says this, Isaiah writing here, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock from whence you are hewn, and the hole in the pit whence you are digged. Look unto Abraham, notice this verse, verse 2, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. Isn't that amazing? Now, the Bible says here that we are to look to Abraham. Okay? We are to look unto Abraham as an example. And Sarah, he says, I called him alone, I blessed him, and I increased him. Now, who made Abraham rich? God did. Okay? One time, one of the kings tried to offer Abraham some stuff. And Abraham said this. He says, look, I won't even take a shoe latchet from you or a shoestring to say that you made Abraham rich. (laughs) Remember that? Abraham was successful. He was wealthy. He was the richest man in the East. And he served God. Isn't that wonderful? And it says, verse 3, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her uh, wilderness like the garden of Eden and the desert like a, the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness shall be found there in thanksgiving in the voice of melody. All right. Now what I wanted to bring out to you here in this scripture again is that, that we are to look to Abraham, we are to look to Sarah as an example of our faith because we're, when it, when you back upstream where this whole faith thing started, you have to go where it originated With Abraham. He's called the Father of Faith. And as I mentioned last week, when people go to heaven, when Christians go to heaven, the first person they're going to meet is Father Abraham. Okay? Say, how do you know that, Brother Keith? Because I know people that have died and gone to heaven, come back that didn't know each other, said the exact same thing. I met some guy named Abraham. If you read Jesse Duplantis' book called Close Encounters of a God Kind, God took him to heaven for five hours took him out of his body and went to heaven for five hours. And he, he, the, the Lord showed him around heaven, showed him some things about heaven. It's just marvelous, you know, what took place. And he said that the first person you'll meet, he meet is Abraham. And Abraham is a very joyous person, okay? And, and we are to look unto Abraham and the example of faith that he was and follow in his footsteps and also Sarah as well. Now go to Galatians chapter three real quick here. So I want to lay a little foundation here. In Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament. When I was a kid, you know, and I think it's the same today. People would plaster big posters on their walls as kids of heroes. Different things like that. You know what I'm saying? I I know my sister, she's not here so I can pick on her a little bit. But she used to get that, that 16 magazine or whatever it was. I don't even know if they still make that anymore, but you all remember that? And they would, she would cut out pictures of different movie stars and these guys and plaster them all over her wall. You know what I'm saying? Those were her heroes, you know. But now we will put people like Abraham up there and Jesus up there, amen? Those are the real superheroes, right? In Galatians 3, in verse 13, it says, Christ... Hath, say hath. Now we don't talk in that terminology, we would say has. So when it says hath, it means has, past tense. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, notice that that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now look at verse 29 of that same chapter, in verse, chapter 3 and verse 29. It says, If you be Christ, or we would say if you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Okay? Now, I'm not not the physical descendant of Abraham, but if you belong, neither unless you're Jewish. Okay? But here's the thing if you belong to Jesus, then you are grafted in, it says, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and you're an heir according to the promise. Now, if you study the life of Abraham, my goodness. The 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 how God increased him and blessed him. Now we're not just talking about monetary things. God blessed him in such a way that he had favor with people. I mean to tell you, everywhere he went, things were happening for him because he was a man of faith. And so was Sarah as well. Now it says here that Christ hath, has redeemed us, you and me, from the curse of the law. Now what's that all about? He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, if I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, the first thing I I want to know is what the heck is the curse of the law? (laughs) Excuse my English. I want to know what is the curse of the law. Well, the only way that you can know what the curse of the law is to go back to the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. That's the law, the Pentateuch. And if you go to a specific chapter, Deuteronomy chapter number 28, okay, And you'll see in Deuteronomy, we're not going to turn there because of time this morning, but you'll find in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it lists all the blessings and it lists all the curse, the blessings and the curse, okay? Now the Bible doesn't say he's redeemed us from the blessing, it says he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? And part of the blessing is that God told Abraham in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he says blessed... Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the ba- your basket and your store or your, your, uh, your bank account. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the increase of thy kind. And all that you set your hand to. And it lists all these blessings. All these blessings. Now when you go under the curse part of, of the law, the curse of the law is, is uh, all this sickness and disease. It lists a whole bunch of things that are all under the curse and then it says in every sickness and every disease that it's not even written therein is under the curse. I think in, in verse 63, all right, of Deuteronomy 28. And so it boils down to this. If you break it down into categories, okay, the curse, the curse of the law is threefold. It's threefold. First of all, poverty. Number two, sickness and disease. And number three, Spiritual death or eternal separation from God. So that's poverty, sickness, and disease, and spiritual death. Okay? And the Bible says in Galatians 3 that right there, and we're looking at Abraham, Christ Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us. In other words, we don't have to suffer what's mentioned in Deuteronomy 28. Jesus, I love Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. Jesus is the greatest man that ever lived on this earth and always will be. We came out of him. He created us. Everything that we see in this natural world was spoken out through him. The Bible says when God said that was Jesus pre-incarnate, it says in Colossians and several scriptures that Jesus created all things with His Word. Okay? So in Genesis, when you, when you read that God said, let there be, that was actually Jesus before He became flesh. He always preexisted with the Father. Okay? And everything that we see in this natural realm came out of God's heart, out of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ Hath redeemed us, or me, from the curse of the law. See, we're, we're to take that personal. Do you ever have someone say, hey, don't take it personal, brother? If they said something ignorant to you, don't take it personal. You know. Well, in this case, we are to take it personal. Christ didn't just redeem the guy down the street or the Jewish nation. He redeemed me from the curse of the law. <laughs> Amen? Now... This gets really interesting, because I, I love looking into this. I love med- I've been meditating on this for years now, years, and I continually do that, because I'm so intrigued by the sacrifice and the substitute that Jesus became for you and for me. What Jesus bore, we don't have to bear. Do you know that? Now, you can have symptoms come against your physical body. You can have symptoms come. We're not exempt from that. You can have pain. You can have symptoms of sickness come against you. But you have a choice to say, I resist that because that doesn't belong to me in Jesus' name. I resist that. And the stronger and more convinced you become of the Word of God, okay? And and people say things like, Brother, why don't you preach the whole counsel of God? Well, listen, nobody knows the whole counsel of God, everything, you know, but I'll tell you what, what we do know, we're going to preach because people need deliverance. People need help. They need supernatural help. And um, curse it as it says, curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Thank you, Lord. Jesus suffered more than any human being on this earth. No one ever has ever suffered more Jesus. But his sufferings were for you and for me. The torturous treatment that he received was done for me and for you because of his great love for us. Think about that. Now, I almost couldn't believe this, but the Lord showed this to me a couple of years back. I don't know when it was, maybe three or four years ago. And and I was having a conversation with the Lord. I was in prayer, and the Lord said this to me. And at first, I was like, whoa, that, I don't know about that. <laughs> but you know, the Lord always backs up what he says with his word. And he said this to me. Now, I didn't hear it with these ears here. I heard it in here like you hear them too, okay? And I was having a conversation. He said, Keith, who was the most cursed person that walked this earth? He asked me this question. And immediately, I thought of like Hitler, Mussolini, <laughs> one of these wicked rulers, you know, Bin Laden. You know what I'm saying? What's the other guy that was in a hole? That uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. Okay, I, I, my mind was thinking, okay, one of these, one of these characters. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, some outlaw somewhere. You know. He says, he goes, no, it's not what you're thinking. He says, he goes, Keith, I, when I walked this earth, I was the most cursed man that ever lived on this earth. Now, most of us wouldn't see that. We'd think, Jesus, the most cursed man? Yeah. He became the entirety of the curse. He took the punishment for, think about this, every human being on this earth Not just you, not just you, but all of us together, past, present, future, every human being that ever, that hasn't even been born into this earth yet. Okay? Jesus became the sum total of all the curse for you and for me. May our minds even try to fathom the depth of his love for us. Amen? It was even said of Isaiah prophesying about Jesus that when he was on the cross, it said his visual image was so marred that he didn't even look like a human being. He was so bruised and beat up, and because he, at that point, he took all the sickness and sin and disease upon his body. Literally, it was probably hideous to look at. Okay, but he had to take our place or we would have to be the ones on that cross. Somebody had to die for us because we couldn't redeem ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. Okay? man. See, religion, that's, that's the problem with religion. says I try to work my way. If I do enough good deeds, then maybe God will accept me. It doesn't work that way. There's no good deeds. There's no good things that you and I can do to obtain salvation because then we'd be bragging on ourselves instead of what Jesus did. Where's our boasting then, Paul said. Our boasting is in Jesus and his cross and him crucified because he's the only one that qualified. He was sinless and spotless and he took our place. He became our substitute. And when he took our place, I'm telling you, it's amazing. (laughs) I get overwhelmed when I talk about this. It's amazing what he took. The first thing that he took is he took and we're talking about the blessing of Abraham, is he took the curse. Jesus became the curse. Say, Jesus became the curse for me. Okay? Now, now we we ought to be careful. We don't want to just look at this as like a historical thing. Yeah, Jesus became a curse. He hung on the cross. And then you mentally assert, assert it. You know what I'm saying? You mentally figure it out. Yeah, I know that he did that. Because there's no power in your mentality with that, okay? You've got to believe it in your heart, okay? Now, I heard the Holy Ghost say this to me and when I was thinking about this. He said, yeah, I was the most cursed individual when I accepted that and received that. Now, of course, he didn't stay that way. He became the curse. He died a sinner's death, but then he was raised from the dead, and now he's the Christ, the God of glory, amen? But he became the curse. Now, as I was thinking about that and I was meditating on that, the Lord expounded further on that. And such as I have, I will give you this morning, praise God. Now, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but it sure won't hurt to hear it again. I hear it every day because I, I say it to myself every single day. Okay? There are certain things that you need to rehearse every single day in your life. You know, if you, if you go to a, if you belong in a choir, there's choir rehearsal. Okay? That's where you try to iron out all the mistakes and everything before you get out there on the stage, right? There are certain things that we need to rehearse in our lives to keep it fresh before us, like fresh bread every single day. We keep this before our eyes. And here's one of the things we need to realize. Jesus became the sum total of all the curse for you and for me. That the blessing of Abraham might come on you, the Gentiles. Are you ready for this one? To the degree and to the extent, this is what I say to the degree and to the extent that Jesus became the curse, is to the same degree and same extent that we receive the blessing of Abraham in its fullness. It belongs to you and it belongs to me. Abraham's blessing is my blessing. Abraham's blessing is your blessing. Don't put it off to the future. I get so tired of hearing Christians talk about, yeah, I know when I get to heaven, my body will be well. I'll have no more pain. That's true. All my needs will be met. That's true. But God wants to bring heavens. This is where people, this is where the church gets persecuted over this kind of stuff. Because carnal, natural-minded people don't understand this. I think we, they've put all the blessings of God off to the future in the sweet pie in the sky mentality. You know what I'm saying? When we all get to heaven. <laughs> Remember that song? <laughs> we used to sing that in our little church, you know. And they, they, you, you get the impression, oh yeah, when we get to heaven, that'll happen. But no, no, God prepares a table before us now in the presence of our enemies. There's no enemies in heaven. He prepares a table now in the presence of our enemies. Glory be to God. Now, my spiritual father, Brother Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, say what you want about him, but the man's blessed. Okay? He's one of the most honest people you ever meet in your entire life. Okay? He's a man of faith, and he's a man of God, and I respect him entirely. Okay? And he's he's gotten millions, millions saved through the preaching of the Word of God. He said, I was so poor when I first got saved and answered the call to the ministry. He says I couldn't even afford to pay attention. <laughs> he said, I was so poor. <laughs> and it's funny because you hear them talk about, you hear them talk about how, how bad off they were. And he was in, he was so severely in debt. And this is in the 50s. He was so far in debt. He said he couldn't see a way out. And when he married Gloria, he, Gloria said that she's funny. She said, you know, I was convinced that he borrowed money on his tricycle when he was young. Yeah. <laughs> he said, he goes, she said, I didn't know what I was getting into when I married him. I married him in all his debts. And so, make a long story short, he was up, up to his eyeballs in debt. You know? And if you look at the, the way things are compared to they were in the 50s, you know, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. But here's the, here's the, here's the neat thing about what happened. He got a hold of Oral Roberts. He went to Oral Roberts University for about a year, okay? But then he got a hold of Kenneth Hagin's ministry while he was there. That's the thing that changed his life. And he says, I started getting in his... He had these 10-day seminars in Tulsa in the 60s. These 10-day seminars. Brother Hagin. And they went morning, afternoon, and night. He said... He said, man, we just did whatever we could to get in those meetings and hear the word and hear the word. And he found out from the word of God through his preaching that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He says, I I don't know what happened, but he said something inside me just went off like fireworks. Like, I don't have to stay broke anymore. I don't have to stay sick anymore. I don't have to stay in this bondage anymore. And yet, if you looked in the natural, he said everything was saying the odds were against him. Everything was against him. His problem was supernatural debt. (laughs) That's what he called it, supernatural debt. Long story short, he gets in, he's living in a little they call shotgun house on the Arkansas River in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he was living at the time. Okay? Up to his eyeballs in debt. He said, uh, back then, this is before they had cassette tapes, they had reel-to-reel. You ever see a reel-to-reel? Anybody ever... I have. there's I mean, the real big things. I mean, they would carry those things around. That was the first thing. And then and then cassettes came out, and then 8-tracks came out, you know, and and there's a bunch of stuff now. But the, initially, the stuff was huge, just like the first computer took up this whole room, you know what yeah. I'm saying, the size of it. Now it's the smaller the better, you know. And, um, and he said he would lock himself in his garage. He didn't have an office. He had a garage. So we'd go in this garage, and he would just get before the Lord, look at the scriptures about being redeemed from the curse of the law. And he said, uh, he just kept looking at that and reading that and saying that, praying that in his garage until one day he came out. A few weeks later, he came out of his garage. He didn't stay there for two weeks, but he would go in and out each day, you know. And he, he, he came out and he told his wife, Gloria. He says, Gloria, he goes, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. And he, she said he was preaching it at the top of his voice, just the two of them in their house, okay? And she kind of looked at him like kind of, okay, if you say so, <laughs> you know? And uh, he says, he gives it may not show it on paper, but I'm telling you, I've tapped into something. This is generally what he, he was saying, okay? Not specifically, but generally the essence of what took place. He says, I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time. And you know, they got out of, they got out of that debt. It would have taken them... 50 years to get out of that kind of debt. He said within 11 months, within 11 months, they were completely debt free. It was supernatural. And I don't have time to go into details. And this is before they were even in the ministry. They were just getting started. And uh, he said it was supernatural debt cancellation. Supernatural debt cancellation. And he says, yet there were other people that, that were there with him in those meetings, but they didn't, they didn't uh, put the same price tag on the teaching. They didn't, they didn't value the teaching that was there. It was more like, that sounds good, you know, but then you go about your business, you know what I mean? He took it to heart, and you can learn from that. The Bible says we are to follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And that's just not people that are dead. That's people that are alive too, Okay. See, I mean, I can certainly learn from people that have moved to heaven. I can learn from their material and from their teachings. I still do. But you can have a living example, someone in front of you, amen? And he said, uh, he just got a hold of the word about this message about being redeemed from the curse. And he started making declarations in his garage. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm redeemed from poverty. He said within 11 months, they were completely debt-free and never went back into debt all those years. 50-some years later. Well, you can follow that faith, amen? But here's what I noticed about him. And I wasn't even planning on, on sharing this or talking about this, but he takes the word of God really seriously. Okay? Say what you want about him. You know, listen, if you're successful, people will criticize you. They will. But you know what? So what? They may misunderstand you, but that's okay. All right? I want to be successful before God. Right? And so he would take this scripture in Galatians, this one in particular, he says, and you can hear this. You can go actually get his material and you can hear exactly what I'm talking about. Redeemed from the curse of the law. Amen. Amen. And so uh, he didn't wait to get Debt free first before he started believing the word of God. Okay. He took the word of God. And and that's that's where he found his treasure in the word. That's the treasure right there. Amen. 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 He found the treasure. Where's your treasure? Your treasure should be, can be, and will be the word of God. Like David said, he goes, or Jeremiah said, Thy words were found and I did eat them. Praise God. They're like food. Hallelujah. And the word is treasure. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. Amen. And the word of God is the treasure. That's the treasure chest. You want to find a pirate's treasure chest? Something more powerful than that is the word of God. Because everything you need is not in some sunken ship out there in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere. Everything that you need is in the word of God. Everything you want, need, and desire is found in the Word of God. Now again, remember the curse of the law is threefold. Poverty, sickness, and disease, and spiritual death. Jesus redeemed us from all those things. Look unto Abraham. Look unto Sarah. Look at how I blessed them. He says, I want to do the same thing for you. Are you with me? And so, as I was meditating on that, when Jesus, when the Lord spoke to my heart, He says, you know who the most cursed person was that walked this earth? It was me when I was on this earth. I became the sum total of all the curse. Now, if you want to do percentages, we would say Jesus took 100% of the curse. Not 90%, not 50%. Aren't you glad he took all of your sins, not part of them? <laughs> he said, I'll leave you responsible for the other 30%. And we've been shipped to hell, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, he took it all. He took it all. And uh, to the extent, here's what I saw. I started to say this before. To the degree and to the extent that Jesus bore the curse is to the same degree and same extent that we can bear and should bear Abraham's blessing. He was my substitute. He took what I had, which was the curse. We were all cursed because of Adam. But he says, I took the curse for you So you could take the blessing. Okay? Now here's what we have to understand. How spiritual things work. Spiritual laws work. Things don't always turn around instantly in the natural. But they can start to turn around. They can start to change. And the way that you and I enforce our covenant of Abraham's blessing is to constantly reinforce and remind ourselves. And that's why confession of the word is so important. Speaking God's word is so important. If if we ever stop speaking God's word, then we stop receiving. It stops coming to us. And that's why we got to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what the Bible says in Colossians. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus was made a curse for me. Hallelujah. And so today, Father, I believe that... I say this. I say... Jesus became the total curse for me. And today I receive Abraham's blessings in its fullness in my life right now in Jesus' name. Praise God. The second thing you'll see about Jesus as far as a substitute, where a substitute is concerned. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, you can bring that up, 2 Corinthians 5.21 Uh, this, if there's anything that stirs me up, it's this subject. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like a, a dog on a rabbit trail. My goodness, a hunting dog, you know? But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, now notice this, check, check this out. It says, for he, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin, for who? For me, right? For us? who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. Jesus being our substitute. First of all, he took the curse so you could be blessed. Now sometimes I've heard through the years, Christian people say, I think, People have said this in, out of ignorance. They say, I feel like I'm just cursed. I feel like I'm living under a curse. And they believe that. Because some bad stuff happened. You know, listen, bad stuff happens to everybody, okay? That doesn't mean you're cursed. You can reverse the curse. And that's what we're talking about. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus take our sin? Yes. Okay. He took our sin past, present, and future. He took it all. On a percentage basis, how much did Jesus take our sin? 100%, didn't he? Oh, there we go. To the extent, to the degree that Jesus took our sin, listen to this, it's to the same extent, same degree that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what it says. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now Jeff, go over to Romans 5:17. I, I want you to see this, Romans 5:17. Everybody say the gift of righteousness. Yeah. This is the most expensive gift there ever has been. People talk about buying a big ring for their future spouse, a big diamond. That's nothing compared to this. Notice this, for if by one man's offense, who's that? Adam. If by one man's offense, death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and, notice this, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You got two men here. You got Adam and Jesus. Both made choices that affected the human race. Was Adam's choice only unto him, solely unto himself? No, because you and I were affected by a man that lived 4,000 4, plus years ago. Adam, the first man. And you and I all came out of him. We all came out of Adam. All of us did, okay? We're all related. <laughs> And all of us were contaminated by a disease called sin, all of us, because of Adam's transgression. Now, it's like, that doesn't sound fair because, you know, I get punished for something that Adam did, okay? Well, it's like this. It's kind of like this. Say, before you were born, you were in, your, in the womb of your mom, and your parents lived in Rhode Island, and they decided to move to another state while your mother was pregnant with you. And so they moved to Pennsylvania. Her decision on where she moves will determine the state in which you're born in. You and I were in Adam. And when Adam sinned, we were all in him. You can't even point a finger and say, man, if I was Adam, I wouldn't have did what he did. We would have done the same thing. We, All of us, we would have did the same thing because we came out of him. He, he was the, uh, the prototype for the whole human race. God didn't create the whole human race at once. He created a man and a woman and gave them the responsibility of parenting the whole entire human race. And their disobedience, it says, by one man's offense, death reigned. By one, Death was passed on. But then it says, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, what? Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, the second Adam, he's called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus passed the test that the first Adam failed. And Jesus' obedience impacted the whole human race. Adam's disobedience impacted the whole human race. And really, the Bible, even though there's hundreds of people mentioned in the Bible, is really about two people, Adam and Jesus. What the devil did through Adam, what God did through Jesus Christ, amen. And it says, if you receive abundance of grace, uh, not just grace, abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. The, the uh, Amplified says, reign like a king in life by one Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hello, kings. How y'all doing? Do you believe it? The Bible says you're gonna reign in life like a king. Well, I sure don't feel like a king, Brother Keith. I've been beat up here and there, you know. Well, let's wake up to the scripture here. Abundance of grace, gift of righteousness, reigning. It's all connected. Okay? Now, I didn't digress from our subject here. We're still on this thing about being redeemed. Praise God. But listen. Jesus took all of your sin. All of it. And on the flip side of that, he gave you a gift called righteousness. Rightness. Right standing with God. How many of you have accepted Jesus? Raise your hand. You believe on Jesus, okay? I declare to you in the name of Jesus, you are, according to God's word, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You didn't make yourself righteous. He did. You just received it. That's true humility. If you ask the average Christian, you know, hey, brother, are you righteous? Well, I'm sure trying to be. No, that's like saying, you know, you're a male or a female. Are you trying to be a man? No, you either is one or you're not. Do you understand what I mean? So, when you got born again, you became, at that moment, you may not have known it, probably didn't. You had right standing with God. Right standing with God. Now, what does that mean? Now, E.W. Kenyon had a book he wrote out years ago called Two Kinds of Righteousness. The Lord gave him a definition of righteousness that I can't improve on. I think it's the best definition because the Lord gave it to him. He said, Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without the sense of guilt or inferiority as if sin never existed. I'll say that again. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without the sense of guilt or inferiority As if sin never existed. This is how God sees you and me. Okay. Instead of this unworthy consciousness. You know what I mean. You ever hear this phrase? Uh, I've heard it so much it just it disgusts me when I hear it because I know what 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 people are trying to do. It's a false humility, and people say, "Brother, we're all sinners." We're all sinners. Well, if you're a sinner, then you're not going to heaven. That means you go to the hot place, H-E double toothpicks. Correct? And I know what people are saying, we're all sinners. Okay, we were, let's correct this. We were sinners. We've been born again, and now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay? But I've heard like, you know, artists and people that are musicians and they've been interviewed. And, and it's, it's, it's ignorance gone to seed completely. It's like, yeah, man, we we're all sinners. We all sin all the time, you know. I'm like, wait a second here. You're either saved or you're not, okay? And if, 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 if the unrenewed mind thinks, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, then that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to sin because their mindset's going in that direction. That's why the scripture says awake to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say stop sinning. Yeah. It says awake to the fact yeah. that you're righteous because when I realize I have right standing with God, mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do is sin. Right. I want to run from it. Temptation comes, I run from it because I have right standing with God and righteous people don't do that kind of stuff, right? Hallelujah. I don't want to mar my relationship, my fellowship with the Lord. So, as we awake to the fact that we're the righteousness of God, and that will stop sin in its tracks. Okay? It's amazing. Amen. Amen? Praise God. Keith Moore talked about this one time. I'll give you this example. It's fascinating to me. He was talking about the declarations of the Word of God. He said a guy came to him. He was a Christian. And he was in his ministry somehow connected with his ministry and he, and he had a problem with tobacco. He was addicted to um, smoking cigarettes, okay? And uh, I mean, God loves people like that, right? But he doesn't want you addicted. He doesn't want you addicted to anything. I don't care what it is. He doesn't want you depending on something. You need that, you gotta have that. He doesn't want you. Well, this, this, this young man said he had a problem and <clears throat> he had smoked for many, many years, And he came to Brother Keith Moore, who's a a pastor, and he said, uh, I've done everything, man. I've tried this, I've tried that, you know, and I I just can't seem to get victory over this, okay? And uh, long story short, he addressed this. The Lord had him address this situation. This is interesting. He goes, I've thrown away more packs of cigarettes than you can imagine. It went back and got them out of the hedges and (laughs) got them back... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And uh, Because he was trying to do it in his flesh. He was trying to do it in the natural, but he was really addicted, right? And, And Brother Moore said this. This had to be the wisdom of God. He said, I'll tell you, here's the thing. He said, the next time you pull out a cigarette, he said, and you light that thing up, and you take a first puff of that smoke, he says, I want you to say out loud, I thank God I'm delivered from cigarette smoking. Okay? And he, so he did that. He said he'd get, a, get home, the craving would come, light up, you know. And he would say things like, Lord, I'm doing this for your glory, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, he said it was the hardest thing he ever did. He said, but he would say out loud, okay, I'll do what the preacher said. Uh, I, I thank you, Lord, that I'm delivered from this cigarette. He says, then you he said, when you pour out another cigarette, he said, do the same thing. He says, just don't quit doing this. So every time he would light up, get a match, light that cigarette up, he would say this out loud, and he listened to what the man of God had to say. He said, I thank you, Lord, that I am delivered from this cigarette habit. I'm delivered from nicotine in Jesus' name. He said a week or two later, he came back to Brother Moore, and he, connected, he reconnected with him. He says, Brother Keith, I got a praise report for you. He goes, just out of the clear blue. He goes, I just did what you said. He goes, the desire for that completely left me and I haven't had one since. He goes, I was totally delivered from nicotine. Now, he had tried Nicorette's and all this other kind of stuff, you know, the hypnotism, I mean, all this kind of stuff, you know, and none of it worked. None of it worked. But when he started making a declaration of faith, he said, all of a sudden... All of a sudden, the anointing kicked in, and I was delivered. And it was like effortless. It was like it just happened. Okay? Now, that's exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to, you know, if people have a problem, struggles with sin and things like that. You know, no matter what it is, you make a declaration. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You're saying about yourself what God already says about you. That's not pride. That's really humility. If I got up here and I said, and somebody out here was unlearned, and I said, "I am the righteousness of God in Christ," somebody would sit out there and fold their hands and say, "Who does he think he is?" He called himself the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I didn't call myself that. I said what to, about myself? What the Word of God says. That can't be pride. That's humility. You're taking what God said about you and you make it a personal thing and you say, okay, I'm going to apply that. I take that right now. That's the empowering. That is what gives you the empowerment. If you you lack strength, Brother Glenn talked about that. That was a great testimony this morning. And from time to time, all of us lack strength. Okay? The Bible says, let the weak say... I am strong. That's what it says in Joel. It says, let the weak say, I am weak. No, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the sick say, I am healed. Well, that that means I'd be just lying, Brother Keith. No, how could you lie about something that God already said about you? You can't. You're not lying about it. You're You're calling things that be not as though they were. Your body might be in pain. Your body might be sick. But you're saying... I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm declaring what the word of God has to say. And so that spiritual truth will cause the natural to line up. Okay? So, Jesus took your sin so you could become righteous. In other words, you have right standing with Almighty God. You know what? I've learned some things, and I'm still learning, about the benefits of righteousness. The work. The Bible says the work of righteousness shall be peace and quietness and surety in Isaiah. The, the, effect, and the, the, the effect of righteousness. The work of righteousness shall be peace and quietness and assurance forever. That means when I, pray, when I talk to God, the Bible says His eyes are upon the righteous and His ears are open unto our prayers. The righteous. So when I pray, when you pray, He hears every word that you utter. You can whisper under your breath and talk to the Lord, and He hears you right then and there. At two thirty at a.m. this morning, I was laying. I woke up and I was laying in bed, and I just woke up, you know. And I I was like, so I just started praying, but I wasn't praying with my lips. I wasn't using my lips. I was praying within me. Do you know how you have an inner voice? And I was asking the Lord, I was praying for you guys today. Okay? And and within myself, I'm like, Lord, bless the people, in essence. Bless the people that come today. Minister to them. Minister your grace to them today. Glory to God. And then he says, the Lord said this in my spirit. He said, granted. Consider it done. Consider it done. Amen? See, quietness and assurance. When you know God hears you, you don't have to be like, God, are you up there somewhere? (laughs) No, He's right there. He's right here. Right here. In you. And when you pray, things happen. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen? Amen? we're still talking about Abraham, but we're almost out of time here. Okay. Okay. That's Isaiah 32 and verse 17. Let me just read it. Isaiah 32 verse 17. It says, I'll wait till it comes up on the screen here. Yeah. And the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever on the next verse. Okay. And it says uh, 18 verse 18. And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitations, sure dwelling places and quiet resting places. Yes. You know who that's talking about? Us. <laughs> it's talking about us. Hello righteous ones. How are you this morning? Everybody should respond, right? Say, so, yep, you're talking to me. You are righteous. A God has called you righteous, and you have rights. Does that do something like it does to me? I mean, when I read that, I'm like, dude, I can pray, and I can resolve. I can pray here for someone in China, and God hears me right here, and things start to happen over there. It's a confidence, okay? But see, here's the thing. an unrighteous, The opposite of this would be an unrighteous consciousness okay Um, you can be a Christian born again in the righteousness of God and still make mistakes but you're still righteous okay alright I'm a male okay by birth I didn't choose to be that was what God chose for me alright I can still mess up but I'm still a male you understand what I'm saying as a, as a born-again Christian, the righteousness of God. Yes, you can choose to make, you can make wrong decisions, you can sin even. But you're still the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, if you say that, brother, you're going to give people a license to sin. No, when you wake up to the fact about this, you're not going to want to displease. Yeah, you may make mistakes, but you're still right before God. I don't think anybody in here wants to get up and do wrong. Okay? The very fact that you're even here today, there's something in you that's good. There's something in you that says, I I, want to do right. All right? Now stop listening to me really carefully. Stop allowing the circumstances around you, especially through other people, to determine your level of joy and enthusiasm. Don't let that person or person that's around you, family members, whatever, do not let them determine your attitude, your faith. Because I'll tell you, the devil tries to use, more than anything, people of your own household. y'all find that out? He tries to use someone that's related to you or some, you know, some close relative or whatever. Don't allow them to cause you to waver in your faith. Grab hold of your covenant. Grab hold of that covenant with, with like I said, we're redeemed from the curse. Amen? Amen. You know, You know, something that's kind of interesting, you know part of the curse, we didn't have time to read through it, One of, part of the curse is you would begat sons and daughters. He you said you'd begat sons and daughters, but you wouldn't enjoy them because they'd be led off into captivity. Deuteronomy 28. That's, that's a curse. Okay? Now, I'll tell you, the devil might try. He might try to mess with your children or your grandchildren or whatever. He might try to do that, okay? But we have to get in the devil's face and say, no, 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 I am redeemed from the curse. I will have sons and daughters, or whether you have them or will have them, and I will enjoy them. They will serve God. They will live for God the rest of their lives. Amen? It may look like they're not right now, but in the name of Jesus, they will come around. They will come around. And don't let that person determine your joy level. Okay? I know what I'm talking about. Don't let that person or persons determine your joy. Keep your trust in the Lord. Okay? When the righteous pray, things happen. <laughs> when the righteous pray. Amen? You want, you want to know something about this thing right here, this, this notebook right here? Everybody, everybody know what this is? It's a Louis Vuitton notebook okay this, this notebook cost hundreds hundreds of dollars now I'm going to tell you how I got this okay I saw Jerry Seville preaching one day years ago I saw him preaching and this is part of the blessing This is what I'm talking about here because uh, I went to a store and priced one of these things it was like 700 bucks for one of these I'm not going to go out and spend $700 on a notebook. I had no idea how much they were. I just saw Jerry Seville, and uh, he had one of these notebooks. I thought, I thought, man, I'd like to have one like that. You know, I had, I didn't know if it was $10 or what. I had no idea. I didn't know brand names and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, and brother, brother Len Mick. I asked him if because he, he's friends with Jerry Seville. You know, Brother Len Mick, and I said, "When you talk to Jerry, ask him what type of uh, notebook that is and where he got that. I'm just curious." Okay. And then uh, a week later, I get a package in the mail. I get a package in the mail and have my name on it. So I open it up and I thought, "This is it. That was in there." Okay. Now I don't. I don't know how he got it or what happened there, but he said, this is from the Lord to you. Okay? But I, I just, I, I said to the Lord, I said, now I would never go out and buy something like that. Okay? And sometimes if you have something nice, people assume that you bought it with your own money. It, it could be given to you as a gift. Okay? I never forget when I use this, I don't use it all the time, but when I use it, I remind of myself of God's grace. I didn't work for that, okay? But, but God arranged it. I was just curious of what type of a notebook that was. I just thought it looked kind of cool, you know, because we'd go to these meetings. We'd be like on the front row, you know, at the Southwest meeting and stuff, and he'd be, I'd be like, that is the coolest notebook. I want one like that. But I didn't know what it was, okay? Now, I wasn't planning on saying that, but you see, God wants, God wants to get things to us that you didn't work for, he wants to give you good things. Okay? And I'll close with just saying this. The Father, Jesus said this if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? That ask Him. Okay? So get busy asking the Lord. It's not selfish, it's just covenant. It's not selfish to ask for things, it's covenant. It's just saying, okay, Lord, you have it all, you own it all. God owns everything. He's the richest person ever. And He has everything, and He can get what He needs to you. Okay? So I decree and I declare say this after me say, I declare, I declare according, to God, according to the Word of God, that I am righteous, I am righteous. And, holy and holy before God. Jesus did, that for me. Jesus did that for me, and I received this grace, I receive this grace. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to admonish you the rest of this week to, to, to just rehearse that, that Corinthians 5:21, that Jesus became sin for me, so I could receive righteousness. And you're going to notice, you're going to notice really quick what's going to happen, and you start praying for yourself, or you start praying for your loved ones and praying for other people. I love to pray for other people. You're going to see a much quicker results instead of grunting and groaning and striving, like, oh, I hope he heard me. You know, it'll be like, no, the Lord heard me. I'm praying for so-and-so, and I pray that you're going to do this for so-and-so. That's the way I pray for people in the church, everybody here. I pray scriptures over here, and then I pray personally for you, and, and, um, and I'm expecting God to show up in your lives. Amen? Praise you, Lord Jesus. Let's just thank him right now. We thank you, Father. We worship you in this place, Father. We thank you today, Father, for all your goodness. Thank you for blessing each person's week this week, Lord, that you map out this week for each person, Lord, and bless them in Jesus' glorious, wonderful name. Amen.